Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. I, Stephen Mnuchin, do solemnly swear that I shall support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It is my great honor tonight to present our new Treasury Secretary of the United States, Stephen Mnuchin. Mr. Mnuchin is the ultimate Wall Street insider. From the moment he graduated from college until today, he has worked at a big bank or a hedge fund. If Wall Street threatens to blow up the economy again, does anyone seriously expect Mr. Mnuchin to get tough with his old buddies and tell him to knock it off? You might say that he did not personally authorize One West or IndyMac to cheat me out of my home, but his fortune rose as a direct result of managing a company that routinely engaged in irresponsible behavior. Advocates for low-income communities describe One West Bank under Mnuchin as a foreclosure machine. Secretary Mnuchin, with working families struggling to make ends meet, why is this administration giving the ultra-wealthy this massive tax cut? There are a lot of slippery interests that make a lot of money off of this rather creepy shell corporation, international crookedness, kleptocracy economy. Stephen Mnuchin. I'd like to begin today's remarks by providing an update on the packages and devices that have been mailed to high-profile figures throughout our country and a media organization. I am pleased to inform you that law enforcement has apprehended the suspect and taken him into custody. On August the 5th, 2019, Caesar Sayok was sentenced to 20 years in prison for trying to kill critics of Donald Trump. From politicians to actors, his targets included Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Robert De Niro and George Soros. At the time of his arrest, Sayok, nicknamed the MAGA Bomber, was living in his van after his home was foreclosed on following the 2008 financial crisis. Upon seizure, law enforcement discovered that his van had become a shrine to Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and even his own lawyers described him as a superfan. He believed that the Democrats were out to hurt him and became obsessed with Donald Trump. He would religiously watch Fox News and, despite having never registered to vote before the 2016 election, started attending rallies and supporting Trump on Facebook. Yet, ironically, he was part of the Trump administration, Steve Mnuchin, who was intrinsically linked to the financial troubles which had beset him. In April 2007, Sayok refinanced his home with an adjustable rate mortgage from IndyMac Bank, but became victim of Wall Street's fraudulent foreclosure practices. Sayok was informed by IndyMac that they would seek to foreclose on and sell his home on January the 7th, 2009. But Sayok did not receive this notice and the summons was returned unserved in February of that year. 
The following month, Steve Mnuchin led a private $13.65 billion purchase of IndyMac, renamed it One West, and turned it into a foreclosure machine. But not having the necessary paperwork to foreclose on SEOC, the bank backdated documents, and in November, the house was bid upon and sold. SEOC was left with a bill including IndyMac's attorney fees of $442,427, nearly $60,000 more than he had originally borrowed. Now, while it is unlikely that Sayok had made the connection between the foreclosure of his home and the Trump administration, it does highlight how partisan loyalty can be a shield for the appointment of nefarious characters into government. As the world moves from one financial crisis to another, how does Steve Mnuchin, a man symptomatic of Wall Street greed, end up in one of the most important jobs in government? What would the founding fathers think of a government run by billionaires and Wall Street alumni? Savvy to human nature and the risk of corruption, the Constitution was written to ensure that anyone holding office would serve only the American people. Yet with a government run by billionaires and bankers, a clear conflict of interest exists for those creating economic policy. In Building a Nation, the founding fathers moved to guard against these conflicts, writing two key provisions into the Constitution, the Emoluments Clause and the power to impeach a president. While the emolument clause was designed to protect against foreign influence, it is the inside influence from the wealthy that has corrupted government, and Steve Mnuchin's appointment as Treasury Secretary epitomises this. In an administration with a high turnover of senior staff, Mnuchin has managed to stay within Trump's inner circle. An architect of the tax cuts for the rich and the dismantling of regulations designed to protect the American people, in Mnuchin, Trump has the perfect yes-man. And as riots spread across America, following the murder of yet another black man at the hands of police, this nationwide anger points to a deeper division between the state and the people. For over a decade, it has been the hard-working people that built the economy who have swallowed the pain of each economic crisis, from losing their homes in the 2008 housing crash to their businesses and jobs during the 2020 pandemic. Each time, the government's put Wall Street and big business at the front of the queue for bailouts. As the gap between the ruling elite and the rest of the population grows, Thomas Jefferson's words in the Declaration of Independence ring loud, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. How did a man who has repeatedly profited from the financial pain of others end up as Treasury Secretary? Through nepotism and old boys' networks, Mnuchin has managed to rise up through the business and political world, building a personal fortune estimated at over $400 million. As head of mortgage lending at Goldman Sachs, he was selling the subprime mortgage products which would go on to cause the 2008 financial crisis. And after the crash, he bought a bank with his buddies and built what was dubbed a foreclosure machine, forcing people out of their homes in the tens of thousands before selling the bank for billions in profit. He sat on the board of Sears as it was looted for billions of dollars during a systematic sell-off, and now, as Treasury Secretary, he is using government planes as his private jets and giving billions of dollars in tax cuts to the wealthiest 1% of Americans. He is the modern-day Robin Hood, but instead, he steals from the poor to give to the rich. You know something, Robin, I was just wondering? Are we good guys or bad guys? From Bedford, UK, I'm Peter McCormack, and this is Defiance.
it really is remarkable that you can sort of flutter through life, escape all the pitfalls, whether it was One West or the bankruptcy of his Hollywood production company or the Sears situation. You, you can just sort of escape from disaster to disaster and wind up in this exalted position. There's very little in his history that would say, yes, we want this person running the economy in the United States. There's very little to, to recommend of him there. And yet that's the position that he's found himself in. And sometimes you have commentators talking of America as a meritocracy. And I think the case of Steve Mnuchin just lays that to rest. The Mnuchins were a Jewish family who originally came from the remote, cold north of Russia. Steve Mnuchin's great-grandfather, Aaron Mnuchin, left Russia and made his way to Belgium, where he became a diamond dealer before setting out from Cadiz in Spain and finally landing on Ellis Island, New York, on September 12, 1917. Aaron's son, Liam Mnuchin, Stephen's grandfather, was seven years old when he arrived in America. He would grow up to be a lawyer and an art collector and send his son Robert, Stephen's father, to Yale in 1955. Shortly after graduating, Robert took a position at Goldman Sachs and worked his way up to the very top where he would become a partner in charge of equity trading. Robert, an art lover like his father, opened a gallery in New York, the Mnuchin Gallery, selling works by artists such as Yves Klein and Jeff Coombs from New York's Upper East Side. Stephen Turner Mnuchin was born on December 21st, 1962, the next in a long line of ambitious, power-hungry Mnuchin men who would stop at nothing to get to the top. Russian emigre, diamond dealer, art collector, financier, each generation of Mnuchin set out to unsert the last in their bid for riches and power. But Steve's bar was set the highest. While his father Robert was known as one of the most influential bankers in America, a senior partner at Goldman Sachs and one of the top ten bankers of his generation, Steve Mnuchin was going to rise higher, get more power and accumulate more wealth than any Mnuchin before him. Whatever the cost, whoever it hurt. Steve Mnuchin went to Riverdale Country School in New York. And whilst little is known of his time there, many years later, when he took up the position of Treasury Secretary, 184 of his former classmates and graduates of the school would write a letter to him asking for him to resign from his position. As Americans, we are deeply troubled by President Trump's response to the Charlottesville rally and the racist policies he and his government are continuing to enact. By drawing a false equivalency between white supremacists and neo-Nazis and the protesters who oppose them, by striving to demonize immigrants and people of color across America, the president, in words and in actions, is helping to tear down the values that made our country strong. We are horrified by his lack of moral leadership and by yours. We have waited for you to speak out. Thus far, you have stood silently by the president, complicit in everything he says and does. Like your classmates from Yale, we believe your resignation would be the most honorable choice. Yes, that's right. 300 of his classmates at Yale also requested he step down from his position too. We do so today because President Trump has declared himself a sympathizer with groups whose values are antithetical to those values we consider fundamental to our sacred honor as Americans, as men and women of Yale, and as decent human beings. President Trump made those declarations loudly, clearly, and unequivocally, and he said them as you stood next to him. But despite those letters, he stood by Trump. 
Mnuchin studied economics at Yale, but wasn't particularly noted for his aptitude, as David Dayan explains, author of Fat Cat, the Steve Mnuchin story. He showed no real aptitude for a whole lot in, in college. Uh, there's this uh, infamous quote that a college roommate of his said, you put the douche in fiduciary. It's pretty clear to me that uh, Mnuchin was something like a pleasant non-entity, but his ability to trade on his name and his family history was what propelled him through Goldman Sachs. Despite his unremarkable stature at Yale, his future prospects changed when he joined the Skull and Bone Society, putting himself in the company of those who would give him a lifetime of career support. The Skull and Bones, or Order 322, or the Brotherhood of Death, is one of the most secret organisations in the world. Founded in 1832, it is home to some of the most powerful alumni, including senators, union leaders, head of intelligence agencies, bankers, industrialists, and its fair share of presidents too. William Howard Taft, the 19th century president, Walter Camp, the creator of American football, Frederick Wallace Smith, the billionaire founder of FedEx, Stephen Schwartzman, the billionaire founder of Blackstone Hedge Fund, John Kerry, and both senior and junior Bush. They were all members. You get the idea. Just a load of normal blokes like you and I, getting together for the occasional beer to plan how to take over the world. All these rich, powerful men belonging to the same club is the wet dream of conspiracy theorists. And according to the hundreds of websites dedicated to what the society does, the Skull and Bones is a secret order running the world. A theory that is no longer just in the realms of the Tin Hat Brigade when you track its business and political family tree. Allegedly, members provide a proportion of their estate to the society and are promised financial security in exchange for their secrecy. And this secrecy is held with incredible consistency. Very little information about the society is in the public domain, and everyone we spoke to knew little about it. But whether it's just a co-ed hazing party club or a secret society which runs the world, one thing is for certain. Skull and Bones members have held a disproportionate amount of power and influence in politics, finance and industry. There is no doubt, it's an old boys network and Mnuchin has benefited from his membership. In 1985, after graduating in economics from Yale, Mnuchin joined his father and his only brother, Alan, at Goldman Sachs. His father, Robert Mnuchin, was a partner at Goldman Sachs. And when Mnuchin was flailing about at Yale, he was able to get you know, internships on Wall Street. He was able to get right in on the ground floor at Goldman Sachs. And you have to believe this is because his father was a partner there. So clearly, this had a big impact on Mnuchin's life, just the, the, the luck of the, the birth lottery, the fact that he was able to trade on his family name. It's instrumental in his rise in business and, and ultimately uh, the position that he's in right now. You talk to people that knew him at the time, you would get the impression that the only reason he joined Goldman Sachs is because his father was a partner. That was the reason he was sort of let into that club. And he moved through the ranks at Goldman Sachs, passing over other perhaps more qualified people at the firm because of that strong legacy. And like his father, Steve Mnuchin was able to climb, 
or even jump the ranks to become a partner at the bank. <laughs> it was the main factor in him becoming a partner at Goldman was his family history. There's really little doubt about that. By 1994, he was head of the mortgage securities department. He went on to hold a number of other roles before leaving the bank in 2002 after 17 years there. Upon his departure, he was given $46 million in stock and $12.6 million in cash. He was 39. The only reason Steve Mnuchin was at Goldman Sachs is because his father, Robert Mnuchin, was a big, important partner at Goldman Sachs. And so nepotism played a very important role in his getting there. I mean, he was a, you know, a fairly undistinguished partner at Goldman Sachs. That was William D. Cohen, author of Money and Power, How Goldman Sachs Came to Rule the World. To understand Steve Mnuchin, it is important to understand Goldman Sachs and how the bank changed when it went public. Disregarding its partnership background, the bank made millions for its senior staff while creating a new culture of risk endemic on Wall Street, which led to the 2008 crisis. Wall Street is the left ventricle of capitalism. It greases the whole system. So that is the essential role of Wall Street. That, that is why Wall Street was started and founded, and everything else is basically ancillary, whether it's stock trading, bond trading, which of course are key components to making sure the capital system is, is properly greased. And, you know, money management, M&A advisory, all those other things that Wall Street does is just smart people figuring out new ways to make money. But, you know, if there was no more M&A advisory or if wealth management went away, uh, frankly, very few people would notice that. But if the capital raising function of Wall Street somehow disappeared, that would change uh, our world materially. Going public changes the dynamics of every company. You know, there was an intense struggle over many years about whether to, in fact, go public. Uh, I think there was a feeling inside the firm that uh, being private, A, you know, was much more alluring and mysterious and financially rewarding for the partners. Uh, but another key component to the debate was that capital at Goldman at that time was scarce, relatively speaking, compared to its competitors, and expensive. So how you use that capital, which was both scarce and expensive, you know, required a lot of debate and forethought, and you just couldn't, the, the capital wasn't unlimited and inexpensive. So the use of it, whether for trading or for starting a new business or for buying a business or for hiring more people or for paying, you know, higher salaries and bonuses, you know, that every every aspect of that was up for debate. And then when they did go public, obviously, it was other people's money. It was cheap and plentiful. And so uh, the risk taking, which they were very good at, by the way, was ramped up. They made a ton more money as a public company for a while. From the years from 1999 to 2008 were, you know, gravy train years uh, at Goldman, unbelievably profitable. Stock quadrupled or more. All those guys, you know, who were partners when the firm went public, you know, got fabulously rich. According to Bloomberg News, Mnuchin was front and centre for the advent of some of the most controversial financial products of the era, such as the collateralised debt obligation. And when Mnuchin left Goldman Sachs in 2002, 
the Wall Street wheels were in motion for the 2008 crisis. He was involved in early versions of figuring out mortgage-backed securities. That's certainly true. But he did leave before the crisis really reached its peak. The subprime crisis really began in about 1998. There was a rise, and then uh, due to 9-11 and the attendant recession, sort of a, uh, a muting of, of the subprime crisis. And then around 2003, it, it resumes. So Mnuchin was around during subprime one, and he, he was involved in some sort of early efforts. And this was when he was a very a junior member at Goldman Sachs. Uh, in securitization and mortgage-backed securities. He was also involved in the mortgage trading desk at Goldman. So he certainly knew what was going on. Goldman Sachs, aware of the number of people defaulting on their mortgage payments was growing, put together something called a collateralized debt obligation. This is where they bundle together a large number of questionable mortgages into a package, along with some of the better mortgages, to make the whole seem greater than the individual parts. Many on Wall Street saw these CDOs as a sure bet, but in reality, they were a ticking time bomb and Goldman Sachs knew it. Despite selling $40 billion in mortgage-backed securities, they prepared for their failure by shorting the market, effectively betting against the US housing market. It was now within their interest for thousands of Americans to lose their homes. You know, in December 2006, concluded that trouble was brewing in the mortgage market and decided to make a proprietary bet to hedge the mortgage exposure, and they began to take, you know, they call it getting, quote unquote, closer to home. They hedged their long exposure with short exposure. They shorted the mortgage market and made, you know, a ton of money while every other Wall Street firm was going down the tubes. They made, you know, $4 billion on that one proprietary bet alone. And they could have made more, but the internal capital allocation police, or as I call them, the VAR police, the value at risk police, uh, prevented them from more of an exposure on that bet. But, but the basic idea is that they saw risk coming and did something about it. For their role in the financial crisis, Goldman Sachs was fined $5.1 billion dollars. While Mnuchin had left Goldman Sachs a few years before the housing bubble burst, he was preparing to profit on the resulting chaos. As the world entered a recession, millions of people lost their jobs and homes. And while Mnuchin missed the opportunity to short the housing market, he would not miss the opportunity to profit off its collapse. In the next episode of Robin Hood, we will explain how Steve Mnuchin earned the name The Foreclosure King making millions of dollars by forcing people out of their homes. This show was produced by Tom Patterson and Danny Knowles. Additional thanks to Daniel Johnson for artwork, as well as guests David Dayan and William D. Cohen. Please do check out their books, which are included in the show notes. Our website is defiance.news, where you can download previous shows and watch our films. Support from Defiance comes from Kraken, the best and safest exchange for buying Bitcoin, available at kraken.com, or you can download the app from the Apple or Google App Stores. I'm Peter McCormack. You can check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, at whatbitcoindid.com. I'll be back next week with another episode of Defiance. <laughs>